0: Amplify Voices is not just the name of a podcast series, it's what we do as the broadcast vehicle for the Finger Lakes Youth Forum. The student contributors' stories and insights hold up a mirror for the region's communities to see how the past and current situations require fresh, inspired action to build a more equitable future. The experiences and stories you'll hear are as honest, compelling, and nuanced as each student. Taking control of their own narrative while remaining open to every point of view, daring to discuss difficult topics and listening to each other informs actions to build an inclusive way forward. Welcome to Amplify Voices. In episode five, school superintendent Miss Caulfield and CCP principal Robin Sheehan return to follow up on last month's discussion on equity in schools. Students seek mentorship on topics that matter to them, balancing the scale of representation across racial, gender, and age diversity. And these school administrators are answering the call to learn and implement changes that prioritize the needs of the young people. Now let's listen to the insights from the panel discussion in episode five.
1: Hi. Hi.
2: All right, so as everyone is coming in, we're going to start off like we always do with a couple of ground rules. So the first one is about listening. You want to make sure that you're listening not with the intent to respond, but with the intent to learn from each other because that's really what these discussions are all about. The second one is respecting people's privacy. Don't go sharing any stories that you might have heard about people without their explicit permission. Number 3 is respect for people outside of the meaning. If someone has a preferred set of pronouns that they would like you to use, use them even if they aren't there. It's about being respectful and also being consistent and being respectful. And lastly, don't be scared to speak up when you don't know something. These discussions are all about learning. So it's better for everyone if you speak up when you're unsure about something. And now I believe Nick and Olivia are gonna be leading this uh, discussion. So I'll hand it off to
3: them. I guess I'll start because I have muted first. Sorry, Olivia. Actually, sorry, not sorry. But um, <laughs> okay, so first up, we're going to talk about Hawk Days and school equity. I guess Mrs. Coffee Mr. Machine can ask you guys their questions first, like about Hawk Days and school equity. And then after that, we will ask our questions. So yeah, the floor is y'alls.
4: I think I just wanted to get your general feedback about Hawk Days and what ideas you all had or feedback you had. It seems like forever since we've had one, but I guess I would like to hear from you, like what has been most powerful? What has not been effective? What ideas do you have for going forward?
2: The first thing that comes to mind for me, at least is I think adding a little bit of more diversity into the Hawk days. Cause you know, your teenage years are, that's a time where a lot of kids are struggling with their identities, whether that be, racial gender or sexuality so i feel like if we have more adults that people can look up to to kind of you know aspire to be i feel like that'll ease the pressure on them a little bit
5: yeah especially when it comes to including more female speakers i think in my like four years at the school i maybe had one female speaker that came and uh, she was okay but it feels like that's the thing that's lacking the most for me It's just like man after man after man after man. And like I think kids could really use the perspective of a woman in that role, I guess.
3: Going off of what Ben said, I also think there is a lack of gender diversity, but there's also a lack of racial diversity as well. And I think trying to include both of those in like future Hawk Days will really just help to teach better life lessons and to better equip us as students with skills that we need as adults. Because I like, as I've gotten older, like I've understood the whole point of Hawk Days is like for us as students to learn what not to do in life. And if things do happen, what we can and should do to sort of like stop it from happening or like lessen the effect. So I think just like having a more diverse gender and racial set of people come in and speak to us will like really help.
0: I
1: think along that line as well of like life lessons, I think there should be more than just like educational talks about drugs and more things about what Jossie was talking about with either gender or race or sexuality or mental health or just other topics that affect everyone just the same.
6: Yeah, and I think agreeing with Chloe, like I think in a previous forum or maybe in just like one of our discussions, we've talked about this before, but it's kind of like we always have the same type of story where it's like I was bullied and then I got out of being bullied and then now I'm like the speaker. So it would be nice if there was like a different overarching storyline, because I think that's why a lot of kids might like not want to engage is because they feel like they know what they're expecting from one. So I think that that's something that could be changed.
3: I also think if we try to uh, involve speakers who are sort of like closer in our age. So if there's like a teenager or something or like a young adult and just like having them come in and talk to us, I feel like when it's like a middle-aged person, I feel like it's like harder to have like a similar relationship. But I feel like if it's like a person who's in their early 20s or like late teens, I feel like it's easier because we understand each other on like a more visceral level and it's easier to understand and communicate with each other.
1: For Hawk Days, is it going to like stay like a large speaker type thing? Like, are you thinking that Hawk Days should stay in like the same format, I guess? Or are you open to doing different things with a Hawk Day?
4: We've brainstormed that over time because we've questioned the, sometimes a large group works and sometimes it doesn't. I think it it depends sometimes on the topic, how the actual quality of the speaker in terms of the high school student vantage point. And we've talked about doing smaller groups. I discussed that too with Greg and Donia, and Donia was here with us last time. The challenge with that is when we break into smaller groups, having the right people either leading the conversation or presenting the concept, so that the quality of the presentation doesn't get diminished. Nick, I remember you participated in the student equity day. I think maybe our first one or our second one. And we talked at that time about trying to replicate that activity on a Hawk day. The challenge is you need the right people to lead it or it won't be meaningful. So we keep thinking about that. COVID certainly has driven our thought process as well in terms of our ability to gather in large groups. So we kind of just need to rethink and reinvent. And I am definitely open to ideas on that and how to move forward. So it it uses your time in the best possible way.
7: So I'm wondering, can I take you guys back just a little bit more about process of how Hawk Days happen. So you guys have an understanding of like what Mrs. Sheen has to do to plan Hawk Day. Cause I think that might help, you know, when we first merged schools, like Hawk Days were going to be like our signature fun series, you know, it was going to be like these great days. And then I think the reality hit that, you know, there's 1600 kids in the high school. How do you split them up into groups where they're not so big that no one's paying attention to the one person that's standing on stage or break them up into all these smaller groups, which she was just talking about. And typically a speaker could cost between $2,000 to $15,000. You know, it just depends on how renowned they are, you know, for their speaking. So the smaller You break up the groups the more people you have to have like the more speakers you have to have and then those days become money issues to try to manage and when you need two a minimum of two every single hawk day there aren't a lot of really great speakers out there like who is who's been your favorite you guys have been there for two to four years now who's been like your all-time like favorite speaker Okay. John
3: um, Paul. Let me guess. John Paul. No. Uh, <laughs> okay. So my favorite like practical speaker, I would say was <laughs> the basketball player. I don't remember his name, but either like him or the one woman, she was like a chemist and she had like a PhD and she talked about like drug addiction. I thought like that was cool because it like talked about the same topic, but in like a different way that kept it like, fun and like woo, and then my favorite like not practical one was that austin lanier guy because <laughs> i was kind of confused all the whole time but it was like a concert so it was fun
4: <laughs> nick was the basketball one that you're referring to because i think we've had two was it in the gym or was it in the theater do you remember
2: uh the one in the theater i'm not sure this is the one nick is talking about but i remember there was one melvin adams
3: yeah, I think that's who it was. Uh, Globetrotters.
4: He actually was in the gym, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah, he was in the gym. The one in the theater, he was like in the NBA, I think, or like on track. But then he had
2: like a yeah.
4: Car. He was yeah. Uh, what does anybody else remember of your favorites or least favorites? I'll take either.
2: I think Nick kind of took the top ones because last year that was my freshman year, so I've only I've only been to those ones.
4: Okay.
5: There's that one guy that like said he spoke as a motivational speaker for like the FBI or the CIA and like a sports team. And I can't remember his name at all, but that guy, that guy worked. I liked a lot of the people that came in with like kind of an understanding of like what it would have meant to, to struggle, which kind of gave them a common ground with like a lot of the kids that really needed their message. There's definitely been a lot of people that have come through that I think are great. And I can't remember any of them. So <laughs>
4: <laughs> It's hard. It's hard to remember the name. Certainly. I think that what I've always used kind of as a gauge is to see what happens afterwards. Like do students gather around the speaker afterwards? Are they sharing their stories? And that to me has always been a sign of success for a speaker because just to see, are our students connecting with them? And what I've noticed over time is different speakers connect with different students. And I think that that's important too, and sometimes nobody connects to them. Like the Austin Lanyard. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm with you on that. And so what we have to do is go by people that get recommended to us. And sometimes they're fantastic people. And one time we had to walk them out before they continued any more presentations in the district. So it's a risk, but it's super helpful to me to hear about things that you feel could be meaningful. And a number of our speakers have been requests by students. So just so you know, and you can spread the word too, is that we always take those requests. I don't know if you remember Mark Camaro. He was at one point a professional wrestler. He actually was one that a student had requested us to bring in and we actually brought him in a second time. Now I thought he was better the first time, but that's my personal opinion. So it's a gamble for sure.
7: Do you guys think fewer amounts of hawk days throughout the year would be better? Like seeing two speakers a day every month is like too many, or do you think that's the right number? It should be every other month. Should it just be one speaker, you know, that day instead of having to see two? Do you think that plays any part in your decisions about who you liked or who you didn't, Uh, like if you're in your second hour of a, a new person and
2: if it's easier just finding and affording a speaker, if it's easier to do it less often then I feel like maybe finding one that really connects with people, that'll be more common just because it's not, it's not happening as frequently. So then you can save up, I guess, for the more
5: renowned ones. Much I like the half day off that we get every month, the only factor that I- influenced me being critical or enjoying and paying attention to the speakers was how good they were so if you have to do it less often and get better people that makes total sense to me it doesn't really matter to the frequency of it as much as the impact of the actual speakers because if they have a good message then that's what actually matters in the long run versus oh you get a new person to listen to every month
1: Quality over quantity and also as for like the length of speaking, I know that whenever we have to go into the gym and then sit on the bleachers for like an hour, my butt does start to hurt, but it's like not that bad. So I'd say it's fine if you do too, but one would be like just fine. Yeah, I
8: agree with that. Yeah, I was going to say a similar thing basically over like about quality over quantity. Because I think, as you can see, with all of us like struggling to remember remember names and exact talk days, I think it just sticks with you more if there's fewer, so they can really like sit with you, and you're not just inundated with two motivational messages about how you can do it. And then I don't know if this is the right time, but I did sort of have like a question or something going off of sort of Ben, but um, regarding like the vetting process for these speakers, I remember. I think it was Melvin Adams abused the globetrotter, which I question the legitimacy of because it wasn't like anywhere. Anyway, I remember him making some like pretty racially charged comments during his speech. And I don't know if that was just me, but I was sort of wondering like what the vetting process is or like if anyone else has commented about that for these speakers.
4: Charlie, I remember that distinctly about that too, in terms of a couple comments or phrases that I used, I guess, maybe in referring to others. So I, I don't know. I think it, it, again, is a little bit of hit and miss. Some people really connect with a speaker and some people don't. And it's hard to figure out what to do in your vetting process to determine what is going to be successful. Because some of the ones that have become highly recommended from people we respect have not worked out for us. It's very challenging. And honestly, the very one time that I had somebody do their presentation fully before they presented, went and changed their presentation overnight. And they're the ones we walked out the next day. So it's kind of Well, I hate to say this because Nick will be speaking at graduation, but it's kind of like when I listen to the graduation speaker at the rehearsal and know what their speech is. But then when you give them the microphone, they tend to have complete control of what they say. And Nick, I know you won't do that to me, but it is a little bit like that. So it's a challenge. It's best when we have other schools, like if a student goes somewhere to like a convention or a conference and they saw somebody and really connected those we tend to be most successful with because they're bringing it back and feel like it's the right fit for our school community.
1: This is like a separate topic in a way. I don't know if it was last meeting or like the meeting before, but we talked about having like a mental health check-in day. And so you could do like one speaker and then the kids could go off into like I know we had like, advisory in, like, freshman year or something where you could, like, actually use that advisory class to do something, hopefully productive. I don't know how that would work exactly or if, like, that might just end up getting a little too complex to be switching gears like that. But it would be a different way to use the time if you didn't want to do two speakers. Yeah, I don't know. Things
4: like that are exactly what... I need you to brainstorm and share your thoughts and ideas with me because we'll figure out logistics. Like if we have an idea that we want to run with, we're really good at figuring out how to make it happen. But we need your voice to hear what is powerful and what you feel like would be beneficial to you and your peers. Last year, we were supposed to have our health fair in the gym. I don't know, Nick and Ben... Chloe, you may remember doing that before. We had various vendors, companies, people from the community come and share different ideas of things that you could do for yourself, for fitness, for wellness. Sometimes there were chair massages, golf simulators. So that has always been well-received. We were going to do it as a two-day event in late March last year. And of course that didn't work out, but I'd love to bring that back and bring our community in as well, because it's one more way we can get connected. But I like that idea.
6: Yeah. And I think alongside that idea, it's just like, that would be different from obviously like sitting and watching a presentation, which I think would be possibly fun. And it could go along into like wellness and mental health, just because you're doing something else than like schoolwork for once and like just getting to spend time with your friends which i think like is valuable because you're like being forced to take a break at that time so yeah i would really like that
5: yeah if we can do different stuff and then also have better speakers it's a win win to me
4: what do you think about bringing things from art in i mean we had the spoken word poetry a couple of times the name is escaping me right now daniel
1: the gecko poem? Yes. I remember
4: him. And that was a repeat. People had asked for us to bring that, because Project Voice is the name of their group. The other thing that we had planned that got canceled was an aerial violinist. So what is your take on doing things like that, like hanging from, I would say a ribbon, but it's something like that, from the rafters in the theater? and playing the violin. What do you think about doing things like that on pop days? Worth the time, not worth the time? It would be worth
2: the time. That seems like a nice change of pace from just the uh, regular school day. We don't ever get to see very much stuff like that.
5: Yeah, in the same way that like the Globetrotters guy and uh, the rapper, those guys were all like performers. And then you can also have the time to bring someone in that actually has like something real and important to say, but it's also cool to just get the whole community together and watch someone do something cool. So yeah, I think it's valuable.
2: I don't know how plausible this is, but I think that going back to the quantity of Hawk Days, if it's possible to like fill in the gaps between them, then it could be something more entertainment-based than anything about motivational speakers or anything like that.
3: Yeah, and going off of what Josh said, entertainment-based, like back on Hawk Days, I remember like that was the BMX guy, and his was like really, really entertaining, and it was like a really good lesson too. I think like having like the best of both worlds really helps to like reiterate the importance of a hawk day.
7: Some good ideas, Mrs.
0: Sheen. We'll be right back with more of episode five after this. To join the forum panel discussions and to add your voice to the inclusive narrative, you can connect and follow us on Instagram at FL Youth Forum. The Youth Forum is sponsored by Dr. Millicent Ruffin, Director Community Affairs Office, Corning Incorporated, and Katie McConville, Scholarships in Youth Philanthropy, Community Foundation of Elmira Corning, and The Finger Lakes Incorporated.
6: Going back to the last discussion, and because we have Mrs. Sheehan and Mrs. Caulfield here, it's perfect time for this. What are some ways that like you believe the school could work towards a more equitable environment? So, like, I know we've talked before about doing like a student subcommittee. So that's like a possibility if people would be interested in joining. So just opening up the floor to any of those like ideas that you guys might have.
7: I think one of the things that's important to me is hearing from more students. We talked about this a little bit last time. And I think Olivia and Nick, you guys are also in that student advisory group that I had from over the summer and last year. And one of the things we talked about was how could we connect more with people at the high school to see what they want to know more about or what they need to know more about. For example, we did um, that video last week to say, you know, we can't open. And we were pretty bummed out about it. And we were trying to figure out how do you reach all of the students at the same time and share your message with them and how you're feeling about that. And what we got stuck on is how do we deliver that message, but then get feedback from all of you. And we, we couldn't figure out how to give that message on a Friday and then get feedback from you guys. So I think that's one of our missing pieces is getting your reaction when we have to share things like that. This week, we might get to say something different, you know, which is more exciting about coming back. But it's all just trying to figure out how to get close enough to more of you to get feedback, like invitations to things like this. We aren't invited to things like this. We love coming to these types of things, because we get to spend time with people who are living it every day and not just planning it every day. So it's important for us to get feedback. But I don't think students answering a survey is like you get the emotion of what's behind what they need and what they want. So I would have loved to have heard from everyone last week when we had to say we couldn't come back like K-8 to was. And I think Olivia or Nick, I'm not sure which one of you, but you had talked about, you know, maybe Mrs. Caulfield has her own Google classroom where she puts out a question or, you know, she connects with everyone at one time, you know, so that those who do want to provide feedback can. But I like seeing your faces and hearing what you're passionate about. It's different than reading it. So I guess I'm asking what can we do to get more interactions like
3: this? What if we did a student town hall? Because I know that they have those for parents. Maybe if we did like town halls for students and students could just like drop in and like ask questions about like what's going on or like voice their opinions and concerns. I think that might be effective.
5: I totally agree. I think the whole Google Classroom concept of right now in the pandemic creating like a sort of meeting every so often to go over what's happening in the district. But after this is all over, actually doing that in person, if you have the time and the ability, people will come and they will want to share their thoughts. If you want those thoughts, then the best thing to do is just to create a space where people can come and do it. And you don't have to do that. Uh, You guys are very busy, but that, that would be the way that you would do that if you wanted to get those thoughts.
4: I've been thinking about that too. Do you think it would be more powerful if it was sponsored by students? It's kind of like this forum, like you all are driving the conversation. Do you think it would be more appealing to students if it's led by students?
5: You could like draft a couple of kids from the student government body. You guys have like 16 kids that are making up the student governments of different grades. So you could just bring one or two kids from there every month and then ask them to kind of create some sort of itinerary and plan for what to talk about and to discuss and have them lead the discussion when necessary. That would work if you're trying to get people to lead it.
6: I agree with that, Ben. I don't know if Nick can share the sentiment, but I know when we do like class meetings with like class council or just class officers, I always feel like it's difficult because I feel like everyone who joins those clubs has like the same outlook. Like they're very like extroverted and they have a specific way of thinking about things. So I always feel like when we make decisions in those scenarios, it's not representative of the student body, but then we never like have really gotten a way to go and talk to a bunch of people like in the class. So I think that that's a way to combine that to be helpful for both the people that are leading student government and also for both Mrs. Hoffield and Mrs. Sheehan to like do your jobs and know a little more about what kids are thinking.
2: Yeah, I like that idea. Um, also something that came to mind, pulling from clubs and whatnot, you know, that's a, that's a large body of students. So we could pull aside uh, some of the club leaders to ask them, what are some things that uh, that could use improvement?
5: Yeah, that would bring the community together. I don't really see people like interacting with each other as a community just because we're so big that it feels like the different groups are not really communicating with each other ever. They don't necessarily have to, but it would be really cool to see that in some sort of significant way where you have all of these different people throughout the school that are all commonly passionate about the school in some way coming together and and, and helping out with something that's important to the school.
7: I wonder too, if it would grow if students saw that what they shared, there was an action for, you know? You know, Mrs. Shannon and I are pretty action driven. So I think it would be maybe more people would come if they saw, hey, we shared a concern or we shared an idea and it happened. You should come. You should share your thoughts and opinions. As long as there's feedback and then an action out of it that helps the community become stronger, maybe more people would come.
5: Yeah, that's what's so powerful about this thing when we're having a conversation with you guys to me is because when you talk to like people who are running stuff all the time and you talk to them about concerns, you can sometimes tell that they don't care or that they're not going to do it or something like that. But when you all have discourse about whatever issue we're bringing up and kind of take it seriously, I do feel like you guys are going to do something and do care about what we're talking about. So I think obviously action is going to make a difference, but honestly I think kids that want to come and care will come and they will immediately see why they're coming and why it's important.
4: I really appreciate you taking the time to invite us tonight to have that conversation and to be candid and free in your feedback. And I just, would like to invite you to continue the conversation at any point. And we'll think of some structures that we can establish maybe with you to continue that conversation and kind of build our school community in that way. I think you're right in that sometimes that piece gets lost because of the size of our school. I also think it could get lost in a smaller school, but I think it's too important to not try our best to make it happen. So I appreciate your ideas and feedback.
3: All right, so if that's the last of the Hawk Day questions, then we will transfer into our current events conversation. With this conversation, we're pretty much just going to talk about current events, but it's pretty much going to surround the Derek Chauvin trial and the verdict that was reached on that. So I guess first up, I'll ask like a pretty like generic question. So, what are your feelings about the trial, like after? the verdict was reached and like how did you feel afterwards i think that it was kind of
2: a bad sign that it was like this wave of relief that hit me not the fact that he was found guilty i want to make sure that that's that's clear i was not i feel like the reason i was relieved is because this kind of thing happens so infrequently that officers are actually you know held accountable to their actions so i feel like it is a good thing that he was found guilty and he will be held accountable but still there's so many Out there that haven't had the same thing happen to them so i don't know it's like it kind of gets drowned
5: out in all of the uh in the rest of the situation i guess it's a good start i wish it reflected any sort of actual structural change instead of just one guy getting arrested out of a thousand people dying last year
8: yeah i'll say i definitely felt sort of like this moment of sort of blind sort of misguided elation At the trial and the outcome, because so much work went into it and like so many, you know, months and other lives lost to get that verdict was incredibly sort of satisfying. But I think after it, what sort of hit is just, I mean, a police shooting a few hours before the verdict was released. And then, you know, at least I believe Anthony Alvarez in the past week, I think there's definitely more. But uh, of, yeah, of just how, how much further we have to go. And that was sort of the uh, difficult part to stomach as well because of the nature of this trial and how it doesn't exactly set a precedent for shootings because it wasn't a split second decision. It wasn't taken on a body cam. So I think while it was sort of satisfying to see that accountability, it was also just a realization of how, like, you can't let your guard down and, like, let this sort of be the final pinnacle of police verdicts and justice.
2: I like that way of saying it, letting your guard down. I feel like that's important to remind people of because it's not like this one, you know, this one event is going to change, you know, policing in America as we know it. Like, it's going to take
5: a lot more than that. Yeah, I I feel like I saw too much of the sentiment that like, like oh, it's over or something like that. Like Nancy Pelosi was speaking in language like, oh, George Floyd's sacrifice meant something. And it it's not at all reflective of any sort of, like, again, like someone died three hours before that trial or before the, the verdict. It's great that we finally were able to hold one person accountable for the actions they committed. But there is a whole system that we've made incredibly minor changes to in the past year that needs to be re- like overhauled in really, really significant ways. So, you know, I was really happy that it happened. I was almost not expecting it to happen and, and I'm happy that it did. It's definitely maybe the start of something, but it's not the end of anything.
6: Yeah, going along with what I think Charlie said of just like all of the continuous things that have been arising even after the verdict. And like, I realized... I'm like seeing more and more of them at this point. Like I can't like discern how many things are going on right now, which is very difficult. Like it's difficult for me to admit. And it's very sad to admit because it's like, these are all people who have lost their lives like due to police violence. And I think that like just not being able to like name even like their exact names or like the amount of people that have been affected by it just shows like the sheer amount and how like, I don't know. It's just very like how it's still very much present, even though this verdict was given.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with what Olivia said. Like going off of that, for me personally, I like to keep up with everything. But lately I've been getting bad at it because it's just so like emotionally taxing and emotionally draining just to see like there's certain people who look like my cousins and my aunts and my sister and my brothers and just everything like that. Just like seeing them being like, killed cold-blooded by police officers who are supposed to be protecting people, but in reality, they're just harming people. And yes, I wanna stay up with everything and keep posting about it and raising awareness, but at the same time, it's like too much to take in because there's just so much going on. It's sort of like, I'm being like overstimulated.
6: And Nick, like, so something I realized, like, over the summer, and this is kind of like an asking you thing, but kind of not asking you thing. But I'm like, I realized over the summer that, like, I was reading this thing, and it was basically, like, stop trying to, like, call on people of color to, like, try to teach you things, which I thought was very, like, enlightening, because it was, like, and I thought it was very right, because, like, for example, you, like, you're very emotionally traumatized by these situations. But I feel like there's some people that are, like, that really want to, like, prod on you and be like so like what are you feeling and like why do you feel this and what do you want what do you expect to happen and stuff but it's like not really your role to educate them it's their own role and i think that like putting people of color and like people who are being currently affected by the situation in a place where they should be the ones to educate people on the situation is not a good thing and i think that that is what constantly keeps on like happening in society even though, like, if you're the person that's being affected and, like, traumatized by that action, you should just be given time to, like, heal and, like, emotionally recover from it, I think.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Because, like, I'm fine with these conversations. But as a person of color, it's not my job to teach you about the struggles of being a person of color. Like, I'm fine if someone, like, asks me questions. But there's, like, a line that needs to be drawn. Because, like, I'm not going to be like, okay, it's time for a lesson on being a black man in America. Here's a notepad. Here's a pencil. Take some notes, like watch an interview, read a book, write down some questions and then get back to me. And then I'll give you my own perspective on those questions. Cause I'm not just going to constantly be educating you when you have everything at your fingertips to go and educate yourself and then ask a person of color to clarify something or just for reiteration on a topic.
7: I think for me, I always go to, you know, my default for everything is I wanna try and fix something. And when I can't fix it, I get very frustrated. And this is not something that you can just fix and cross off your list. Like this is something we have to keep working at every single day. And I think you've all said, like you had this sense of relief, but at the same time, it's still happening so we still have to keep working at it and i think it's that continual awareness and sometimes something else takes its place like the priority take you know something else takes your priority for a while and then you have to come back to it to remind yourself you got to keep working on this i've got to be part of the police reform work here in corning with our local police department and Stubank County Police Department. And I was really impressed with how everyone that came to the table brought their own experiences, but the work and the goals that they wanted to create out of it, everyone was very serious and passionate about. And you don't see that kind of passion for um, this kind of change and work Um, very often in communities, and I was really impressed with the way our police department and our community members attacked the problem and came up with, like, a strategic plan to put in place in our neighborhoods, you know. But it isn't, that doesn't mean that's how it is everywhere, Um, but I think it's just this constant awareness that we need to have and, and not let it become less of a priority. It's not something we're crossing off our list as we complete a task.
2: I think on the topic of, I guess, keeping it relevant, uh, does anyone have any ideas of ways that we could get more awareness, I guess, around it if it starts to affect people's well-being or the quality of their work in school?
3: One thing that could be done would be having the graphics on the TVs in the hallways, but I know people don't really look at those unless they like are like avoiding someone. But um, I think just like having little graphics on the TVs and also doing like actual posters, just like, hey, like blah, blah, blah. So people can see that like there are resources because I'm involved in the school. I know that there are people I can talk to and I know that there are resources, but I feel like For people who are more introverted and for people who don't really, like, talk to many people or they don't really, like, know what the school has to offer, feel like they feel sort of, like, alone in these topics. So I just think, like, really advertising all of the resources that are available at the school would really sort of help keep people in a better headspace.
1: I think the posters especially like help a lot like I know for spirit weeks I have no clue it's a spirit week until I see the poster then like once I see that it's a spirit week I'm like oh let me go memorize each day that's on this poster and I think the posters definitely help a lot and like having the pictures around the school of like I think they're from the yearbook from like last year like I think those are really motivational and kind of having more informational and like awareness posters would have a good impact as well. And also I don't think that teachers are very aware of students' mental health in general. And in like spreading awareness and also keeping teachers aware, I think if like in the beginning of the year, teachers are always like, here's my email, here's my syllabus, da, here's all this stuff, my resources. If like throughout the year they repeatedly gave those resources out because I think you get halfway through the year and then you kind of forget everything that happened and like this, the support that they're there to offer you. And so like keep repeating and spreading information about possible support outlets. This would be helpful as well.
3: I agree with that, Chloe. Going off
6: of what you're saying, Chloe, I know that Mrs. Perbillon, as part of her participation, she would make it so that, that you would have to come in before school um, and participate in some activities, and that would go towards part of your grade. And um, maybe not doing it as a grade so much as just a teacher being available, encouraging teachers to have a out-of-class check-in session where they encourage students to come and interact with them on a level that isn't necessarily directly, here's the homework, here's the assignment, but more, what are you understanding here? What are you not understanding in the class? And how are you feeling outside of class? How are you dealing with the things outside of class? And, and, and really encouraging students to connect with them on a level that's completely separate from this allotted 45-minute period in a day.
3: So our final question for the night is, What do you believe should happen next, as in next steps after the trial?
1: I think, and again, this is like plausibility problems and like time management, but it took a year for Derek Chauvin's verdict to come out. I don't know. I feel like there needs to be like some sort of efficiency or like system to help trials go through and have good lawyers and I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but more along the lines of like getting things done through the law, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense at all.
5: Yeah, the American justice system is slow as hell. But I think we need to have longer and more regulated training of police. Other countries like the UK, which have like 60 times less police shootings than the U.S., have systems where they require police to go through like three years of training stuff like that, instead of getting a high school degree and then taking a six-month class and then getting the ability to shoot people with a gun. So if we want to see police officers do their job better, we kind of just need to make them learn longer. I know that means greater funding, but I want to see more resources put into police communities actually helping their communities. And I'm so hesitant to advocate for like police getting more money because when they get more money, they don't really reform themselves. They get robot dogs. And there's this whole idea of police unions having to be held accountable for the the lawsuits that they go through, putting insurance premiums on, on police in the same way that we put insurance on like doctors where... Their insurance will increase if they do things like this, like Chauvin did years ago and last year. So I don't know all that. There's so much that needs to be done. We kill a thousand people every year in the United States. The police do. Mm-hmm. The number that of that in the UK or other countries is four. I think another
2: important thing that needs to happen is investing more in communities. I mean, what makes societies function well, what makes them better at the very least is resources instead of police. I, I... That's the only word that comes to mind, I guess. That was the ideology behind defunding the police, is to then reallocate the funds into different aspects of the community, like education, housing, healthcare. It's more about stopping crime at the source instead of putting out fires as they come up. So, you know, like people, higher educated communities are less likely to have crime. People with resources don't have a reason to commit crime. So, like making sure that people are equipped with all of these things that's what's going to cause crime to decrease instead of, you know, instead of more police and giving them all this new like surveillance technology,
8: like robotic dogs and whatnot. One of the biggest things that I think we need to see is a legitimate threat from, uh, from our federal government, from our president to halt or redirect, um, the massive federal grants that are given to police departments. Because I mean, so far you've seen like in the justice department, the, uh, task forces to investigate like the Louisville Police Department, the Minnesota Police Department, I believe. But I think that is just not going far enough and they need legitimate cash incentives to not kill people. And that or so obviously like a threat of taking away some funding or redirecting it exactly into education or into training, I think is one of the biggest things that we need to see Even if, you know, on the campaign trail, Biden was very adamant about uh, adding funding to the police, but he also once said he was in favor of fracking and then got Bernie Sanders and AOC to author his climate bill. So he's obviously movable on issues. And I think how we continue down that path is, I mean, looking at what goes on with Ithaca and Savante Myrick's new uh, policing program, the most progressive policing program in the country, is an absolute... uh, petri dish for seeing what can happen with these types of reforms. And I think ensuring that is a good outcome and really looking at that and broadcasting it is a, uh, a great way to show that these things are possible if you do them the right way. Fingers crossed. We do get that outcome. And then I think as difficult as it is to continue down the path of protest, because I know it's exhausting, I think, I mean, we've seen such great effect that they've had in the past. And I, I think encouraging that is, I mean, always, always important.
6: Thank you, Charlie. That was our like last closer for the night because it's 8.04. Um, and I want to respect everyone's time and stuff. So thank you. First, thank you so much to uh, Mrs. Caulfield and Mrs. Sheehan for coming. Like I genuinely, and I know I can say everyone else definitely does like appreciate your time so much and coming. And I think we were very productive in the last hour um, with like addressing some of the things in our community. And it's like a nice way to like use this forum to do something as we're all students of ZDV High School. And then secondly, i just like to thank everyone for coming. And I don't know if Ms. Caulfield or Mrs. Chan wants to like sign off or do anything, but yeah, that's our sign off for tonight.
7: I just appreciate being invited to the table and being part of the conversation. And I think that you've offered us some things that we can make some movement on and you would be able to see us put in action. And that's, I think, what's important to me out of this.
4: And the same for me as well. Um, I want to thank you for allowing us to be part of the conversation and listening in very powerful and meaningful so we can work from this and continue to improve so thank you
2: yeah thank you guys so much for coming i hope everyone has a wonderful night bye bye
0: we'd like to thank our student leaders and listeners this podcast is for everyone in the region we hope you join the movement and make your voices heard As students and faculty continue to show up and have meaningful discussions, the sharing of ideas can transform into actions that benefit everyone in the community. I'm Sissy Sierra, your host for the podcast series. Please join us next time when the student leaders reflect on this past season in episode six.